Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another live episode of The Yield. I'm here with legend NFL defensive lineman Leonard Marshall. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Uh, it's good to be here. Pleasure to have you. We're at Giants training camp, if everybody couldn't tell. And how excited are you for this? This has to be best time of the year, right? Well, I got to tell you, you know, it's, it's great to have football back. It's good to see the new uh, direction of the New York football Giants. And, uh, you know, very proud of where the franchise has decided to go and, and looking forward to uh, the future of, uh, of Giant football with, under this new leadership. Definitely. The whole coaching staff, new front office, super exciting. But Evan and Kayvon, man, they're, they're huge pickups for the team. Huge pickups and, you know, great additions on both sides of the football. I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, being a competitive football team, you have to measure your success by the amount of talent that you have on both sides of the ball. And when I say talent, those players that go above and beyond excelling, you know, how many All-Pros do you have versus the other team's All-Pros? How many guys you have that are borderline Pro Bowl players to be versus uh, guys that are just kind of out there and trying to find their way and everything else? So uh, I look back on my team in 86 and my team in 1990 and the teams that challenged for NFC titles when I played for the New York Giants. And I can honestly say that uh, the team in 86 had at least... 13 guys that were Pro Bowl caliber, both sides of the football, and that could uh, could help you win games. So it's very important to establish that early on as a football team. Absolutely, and we're going to get into that a little bit. Before that, though, you had a hell of a college career that I want to touch on. I certainly on. did. So you're born and raised Louisiana. Born and raised. And you went to LSU. Yes, I did. That obviously, being from Louisiana, did you have that allegiance and said, I'm sure Bama wanted you too? Well, I had a chance to go pretty much where I wanted to go to school. And, um, you know, I guess to my chagrin, on the chagrin of those that led me in that direction, I decided to stay home because I didn't know what my, what my destiny was going to be. I mean, I was a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid trying to find my way and trying to swim upstream. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> my main goal was to... Uh, go to college, get a job, change the course of my life and uh, and try to make it better than what was really there for me, uh, being a, a, a fellow Louisianian, so. That's incredible. And I got lucky. 
Did you think, uh, I know you were a business administration major, correct? Yes. So did you really think that at any point there wasn't a life outside of football? Or were you dead set on going pro after a couple of years? I mean, you had a great college career. Well, my, my deal was, you know, New Orleans is known for hospitality. So my thing was go to school, put the four years in, uh, learn the hospitality business, learn the hotel restaurant management business, and, uh, and try my best, if football is not an option for me, to get into that. And um, you know, that's, that's the direction I, I had really planned to go. It just, you know, I, I had great coaching. I, I took a real strong leadership role at LSU. Uh, Pete Jenkins became my mentor and my defensive line coach. And, and a guy who looked to me for a lot of leadership uh, on our football team. And it just so worked out for me. It worked out for me that uh, players bought into the way I carried myself, both on and off the field and, and in the classroom. So uh, I was a student first and an athlete second. Uh, but yet I love being an athlete just as much <laughs> as I love being a student. I think that's an incredible, incredibly important point. And obviously all your hard work and dedication paid off. You were a defensive MVP your senior year and later inducted into the LSU Hall of Fame. So clearly you had an impact on that program and just the school as a whole. Oh yeah, I mean, one of the Percy E. Roberts Award and the MVP of our team and defensive MVP of our team was a big deal, you know, because it's a mutual respect that, uh, you know, the guys showed me basically because of my leadership and, and the style in which I lived with. You know, I didn't talk the talk, I walked the walk. So. Uh, and today, many of those guys are still my friends. Uh, so I, I, I'm fortunate, I'm blessed. Uh, I didn't have a catastrophic injury, like a knee injury or anything like that at LSU. Uh, and when the Giants came calling in 1983, I answered the bell. So let's dive into that. We talked to Sean O'Hara, Jeff Beagles sure. about their draft experiences. You were drafted round two, 37th overall, New York football Giants. Your dad's a Cowboys fan, I've heard. So what was your draft experience like? Well, my draft experience was, was quite weak, to be honest with you. I was at my uh, apartment in, uh, in Baton Rouge. And, uh, you know, my mind was on, you know, being one of the top defensive linemen picked that year in the draft. And I actually went fourth in the draft. But unfortunately, it was a six-quarterback draft <laughs> with Marino, Elway, Kelly. Uh, O'Brien Easton and, uh, and Todd Blackledge. A couple guys uh, you came back yeah, to beat a few yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, actually. And, uh, you know, I, I was hoping to, to to play for someone good, a good historical organization. It just so happened that I landed here, and I got a chance to play with two All-Pro Hall of Fame linebackers in Lawrence and Harry. And then we added Carl Banks, and we added a couple more guys, and the gumbo tasted a little bit better. You know, and... Uh, <laughs> And so with that being said, you know, we went on to win championships and, uh, and challenges the team to beat the NFC. And that made me real happy. It's, yeah, I would say that's definitely something to be pretty happy and yeah, proud of. Yeah, I was real of. happy about that. So going into your rookie and sophomore seasons, what was that like? You played at such a high caliber at LSU. You were a leader. Now you're in the, the show, the NFL. What are those first two years of the Giants kind of like, what was your mindset? How did you approach it? What was the transition like? My rookie year was very humbling, my friend. <laughs> my rookie year, I, I got here and 
I had a defensive line coach from Cartersville, Georgia, by the name of Lamar Leachman, who dipped tobacco and talked a lot of smack. And uh, Lamar and I didn't quite hit it off too well my rookie year. As I came in here, I was the big bad wolf at LSU. So I was the, the campus bully. And I was the bully on the other side of the ball. So whatever I wanted, I took. Uh, when I got to the NFL and I got to playing pro ball, I noticed that there's other big bad wolves. <laughs> and, and those big bad wolves kind of showed me who's the boss and who's not. So I had to get bigger, faster, stronger, smarter as a player. And that was my challenge. And, you know, I, I answered the bell. Uh, it took me a, a, a year to get that together, but I answered the bell. And I constantly improved as a player. My goal was to every year keep improving. So I adopted that, that old saying, as long as you're green, you'll continue to grow. It's when you think you're ripe, you'll begin to rot. So I didn't want to fizzle out and, and, and become a, a know-it-all. I just tried to keep growing. I, you were surrounded by such talent as well that you had, and you said it was humbling. So it, it seems you kind of realized it quickly, not didn't take a backseat, but took a learning position again. Absolutely. And I think that the, the fact that I had two or three or four real staunch veteran players in my ear, like George Martin, Harold Carson, Lawrence Taylor, Ryan Kelly, Brad Van Pelt, Phil Sims, guys that kind of have been there and done that and been part of the system already to really help enable me to really compete. I think that the next best thing that happened to me as a giant was when Bill Parcells hired the strength and conditioning coach from LSU, a guy named Johnny Parker. And uh, probably uh, felt right at home. Until today, you know, I told Johnny Parker, you take this job, I'll be the first guy in the weight room and the last guy in when you leave. And I did that for the most part for all 10 of my years while I played for the Giants. And it obviously paid off. It paid off. It paid off tremendously. I mean, <laughs> uh, just look at my career stats. I, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple of guys I could think of that uh, probably did a little bit better than I did, but I wish I had the chance to play in a, in a four-man line, you know, with a linebacker <laughs> like Lawrence Taylor and a linebacker like Harry Crouch. I think I'd have had 150 quarterback sacks. Probably at that point, I think most quarterbacks would be very, very yeah, nervous. Very nervous. A lot um, of guys running away from you. That's just for think sure. of the Giants in, in, in 85, the year we signed Bart Oates, if the Giants had signed Reggie White, Lawrence Taylor, and Leonard Marshall to be on the same defense at the same time. I mean, I don't think it would have, I don't think quarterbacks would have had a chance. It's a scary, it's a scary thought to it's say the scary least. Thought. But You've mentioned him a couple times, and I got to ask, he's a fan favorite. I've seen his jersey around yes. more than I count. What was it like playing with LT? Well, I think the fun part was dressing next to him. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, sharing locker room space. When you walked in our locker room, my old locker room, it was Harry, Lawrence, and Leonard. And then there was Brad Benson and George Martin. So every day I was honored to be in that locker room with these men because they were real warriors, and they, they took the game serious. And they helped raise me in the game. And they, they taught me their style, their style of football. And I answered the bell. And I showed them I could not only play with you, I could play as good as you, if not better. Uh, and uh, you know, being named MVP of the Giants three times as a player on the same team with Lawrence and Harry, you know, that is like uh, something that's unheard of. Definitely is.
Do you come back a lot with the Giants now? And I do. I do. I come back often to camp. You know, I've missed this for the last couple of years because of COVID. 2018 was tough. 2019 was tough. 2020 and 21 was tough for me to watch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, now that this new thing is going on, you know, I love some of the new stuff I see that's going on with the team. I like the new direction. I think that we finally got ourselves a real football man in Brian Dayball. I'm dying to meet Joe Shane. I'm dying to uh, talk to a couple of young players and, and give them a little bit of advice, the next direction for them in their career. You know, don't be the know-it-all. Be the sponge. You know, don't be the guy to rest on what you did in college because that was then. This is now. It's a different game. So it's a different game now. It's grown men playing the game for money versus college football. So you're playing to go to class and having another day the next day. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. But what I will say is that uh, these guys are privileged. I mean, just look at this environment. I mean, this is conducive to nothing but success. And uh, a bit different from what you experienced 30 years ago. You know, I didn't have a commissary to eat three meals a day. <laughs> I didn't have a practice facility like this. There was no bubble. <laughs> bubble was in that stadium. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is a lot different. Most certainly is and definitely has changed, but I feel like the mentality of the players probably hasn't and that some of these guys are, at least under your guidance and tutelage, could be just as good. Well, or hope to be just I, as good. I, I would think so, and I'd love to be able to talk to them and, and kind of ground them a little bit and, you know, just, you know, give them from my perspective what my experience was and let them be the judge of that and, and let them decide, you know, how they want to grow up and mature in the game or not. I mean, it doesn't last for long, so it's a short, quick trip. And in that short, quick trip, they're trying to achieve something that you've done twice and be a Super Bowl champion and get to those title games. So let's talk about that. What were some of your best and overall worst Super Bowl memories? Well, my best Super Bowl memory, uh, <laughs> and this is going to sound crazy and corny, but my best Super Bowl memory was the night before we played the Super Bowl, I was across the hall talking to Phil Sims in his room. And we were discussing you know, becoming MVP of the game or and playing in front of a big crowd like that. I'd never played in front of a crowd of 104,000 people before in my life. So there were 104,000 in, in the Rose Bowl that, that next day. And uh, it had me so nervous that I ended up showing up at the stadium six hours before I was supposed to be there. <laughs> you know, so I was on the wrong time schedule and everything else, and, you know, I never forget when Phil walked, and Phil is usually the first guy there, most of the time when we're on the road playing. And Phil walked in, he goes, Leonard, what are you doing here? I'm, I know I'm early, Phil. Because yeah, I come here to rub down my balls and everything else, you know, because quarterbacks had to rub yeah. the balls down and stuff and get ready and feel them and grip them and all that stuff, along with the kickers and the punters. And he, I said to him, Phil, I was so, I'm so nervous, man. I, you know, I just, I just so nervous. So, you know, uh, that was the longest six hours waiting to play that game I've ever, I've ever witnessed. <laughs> but uh, that was one of my great, one of my great memories. I think my second greatest Super Bowl memory was the day that we played the game in Tampa. It was the year of the golf walk. And uh, I had my parents in Tampa. And uh, i never forget, I was taking my dad with me to go to the stadium because I was concerned about my parents being able to get into the stadium because mm -hmm. of all the security and everything. 
So I took my parents with me to the stadium. They were there three hours before the game. So, <laughs> you know, so they, they, every swear word you can think of, they called me and I said, Mom, look, listen, just, just go find somewhere cool to be. It's hot here in Tampa, but find somewhere cool to be. And if you can't, look for somebody with something Giants on it and tell them you're Leonard Marshall's parents. And maybe they'll take care of you. And, and, and they did. Uh, they hooked up with some people and they got taken good care of. So that made me happy. There, at the very least, you're punctual. Yes. <laughs> yes. So the one thing you're incredibly known for is being a hard hitter. And everybody, the one thing I remember, one of my first memories of you playing was a rerun of that hit on Montana. Right. That was unreal. Well, it, you know, and it, it was a great football play and, and a, teaching, a teaching moment for a lot of coaches because if you go and look at the film, I slip, I make a pass rush move, I'm crawling, I'm on my hands and knees, you know, trying to, and I never give up on the football play, which you're taught as a player. Never give up on the football play, play to the whistle. So I play to the whistle, and then the next thing you know, Mr. Montana's got the football. And I leave my feet to make a football play to hopefully put our team in a position where something positive will happen. And it just so happened that I hit him separated from the ball and the rest is history. But I, I think the fact that he was out of the game for the duration of the game was a big deal to us because he was a threat. You know, uh, yeah. he was a threat. I think the funniest thing about it, when I look back on it now is Lawrence laughing in the picture <laughs> and Joe Montana with a big patch of grass in his face mask. <laughs> and John Gruden in the background, because John Gruden was a young coach. Yes, on sir. the 49ers staff, so. That was, yeah, definitely one of the more iconic moments, but I think you brought up a really good point about never giving up. Right. And right. just, you never give up on a play in football, you never give up on life in anything. Right. We talk about it at Yale Street all the time. It's one of the mantras is like, we're creating stuff from scratch at this point and for an investment platform, and everybody kind of carries that never give up attitude. That's good, that's and good. A lot of people were college athletes. I think it definitely stems from that. And uh, it's also healthy competition within the company itself. But, so tell me a little bit about Yield Street. So Yield Street's an alternative investing platform. Okay. So comparatively, if you think you go to like E-Trade or Robinhood okay. for stocks and bonds, you come to Yield Street for everything alt. Okay. So our CEO likes to say that the 60-40 portfolio of 60% stocks, 40% bonds okay. is dead. And he experienced in the last recession, so 2008, that all of a sudden the stock market took a turn and you watch 50% of your portfolio right. leave. Right. And there had to be better access to alternatives like commercial real estate. ETFs. Are uh, ETFs in a sense that they're gonna be non-traditional. Okay. So that's why him and his partner, our co-founder and president, Michael Weiss, they created Yield Street. Because at that point, if you think about like investing in commercial real estate property, it's not something everybody could do you need millions of dollars to be right. able to do that. Right. They figured out a way to make it accessible to everybody. And that's what it's all about. It's bringing a very specific type of investing to the masses so they can earn passive income. And essentially what Melinda and Michael love to say is that we're democratizing investing and you're providing access to alts that were previously only acceptable to say the 1%. Now everybody can access it. And that's really the mission. And I think one of the reasons we've aligned with the Giants is our 
headquarters is in New York. Okay. So there's that demo that shared geography, but the Giants have very similar mission to ours. And it's such a storied franchise that it's been an amazing partnership so far. And like I said, it's our backyard, it's our home turf, and uh, they're helping us to spread that. Well, I tell you, you know, in, in looking at it, uh, before I came, I wanted to get some information because my wife takes care of that due to my traumatic brain injury. My wife takes care of that for us, and I would love for her to be able to learn more about your street so that uh, somewhere down the line, I can communicate with you guys and talk to you a little bit further about investing in your street, perhaps, through that vehicle and, uh, and having that vehicle be able to do things for our family, so. Absolutely, 100%, yeah. love yeah. to do it, and we'll have you guys out anytime yeah. you want. Wonderful. And that kind of leads me, you've done, you've had an amazing post-football career, and you've done a ton within advocacy, but specifically like your business ventures the very successful company in the 90s. How how did you really parlay football into that and transitioning? When did that mindset start? How did you go about it? Well, I think it started with, 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 with 1983-4 when Bill Parcells and, and Dean Ken Perkins from Fairleigh Dickinson University in conjunction with my teammate, George Martin and Harry Carson, got guys to start going back to school and continuing their education. Uh, one of the things that you do as a player is you get sidetracked and you think that this is forever. And this is not forever. This is as short term as you can get. The life expectancy of the average player is anywhere between three and a half and five years. And, and that's if you're lucky and if you, you stay healthy and if you become that Pro Bowl caliber player. So all those things are targets of mine and all those things are always lingering in the back of my mind. So one of the things that fueled my energy uh, in life after football was I knew I, I was going to need health insurance. And uh, back during my playing era, health insurance wasn't extended to you after your career was over. You had COBRA for 16, 18 months, and then you're kind of on your own. So either you either start your own business, go to work for a high-end corporation of some sort, or you marry well, <laughs> and your wife has you know, good benefits, and you're able to take care of yourself. My thing was, I wanted to have the same success outside of ball that I had in ball. So for a while, I, I did some interesting things and, and, and did well at it. I think when I hit the bump, when I discovered traumatic brain injury in my life, and uh, I, I had taken a setback from around 2007, 2008, and uh, the mortgage business turned sour, and I ended up having to get out the mortgage business because the bank started to consolidate. Countrywide went out of business, Washington Mutual went out of business, Chevy Chase Bank, the number one company who uh, created the option arm loan. Okay, you remember that? Where you Sorry. could pick your payment. They all went out of business. So I'm saying to myself, here I am trying to compete in a space with, with like-minded guys that have more tools and, and opportunity than I do as a correspondent lender. So I think that's when, that's when the problem set in for money. And, uh, and I was just so happy, I was teaching at Seton Hall University. So, as an executive in residence. So you can't, you can't pick and choose in life. What happens, happens. So you either answer the bell if you can, and if you can't, then good luck. So that, that's kind of where my life went. Fortunately, I married a great lady who's been able to take care of me through this whole process with TBI and has been able to manage our family well. You know, help me try to continue this life that I have. I'm happy and I'm proud to be a member of this organization. This organization has cared for me 
for 40 plus years. I am, I am, I am honored and blessed. And at the same time, I tell people, what I need now makes me human. What I was then made me a hero. And I'm honored that I had that opportunity. Well, I think you'll always be a hero, especially for Giants well, fans all you. over. You. you retired as a Giant, so came back for that. And uh, I think everybody was absolutely thrilled to see that. Yes. And have, have your jersey hanging in the rafters with everybody else. This is an honored and humble Giant yes. forever. Yes. So, But you also are steeped in Jersey. You said it yourself. You're a professor at Seton Hall. Yeah. Pirates right down the road. Yes. What was yes. that like? That ought to be. Oh, I was great. I served as an executive in residence. I worked with Aaron Boroff and uh, Deborah Gabry and Frick Gentile from uh, Monday Night Football and Ann Mayo. And, you know, I don't want to forget anybody. But, uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, my dear friend Tanya Dixon, uh, who was uh, my personal assistant and an assistant to. Uh, to the Dean Karen Boroff, uh, just made life real easy in my transition. I really, you know, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my work at Seton Hall. Seems like education's always been a really important part of it your life and, and still is. Is that something, I mean, we preach education all the time and to never stop learning, especially for our, the members on our platform, for our employees. So is that something you definitely push forward in oh, your no tutelage these days? My son's an attorney. And, uh, <laughs> You know, Love so, school. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, he's a Denton lawyer. He works for a Denton law firm in Manhattan. And uh, and Victor is a prime example of that. So That's great. Congratulations. Thank that's, you. That's absolutely Thank amazing. You. So wrapping up here, is there any parting words of wisdom you'd want to give either to younger players or just the next generation? I think if football is in your future, and I look into the camera and say this, you know, you need to take it serious. You need to understand that, you know, it takes a certain discipline to do this. As a high school player, it takes an even greater discipline to do it as a collegiate athlete. And it takes an exceptional discipline to do it as a pro. But just don't be happy to be a pro. Be the best pro you could possibly be. And if you can't be the best pro you possibly can be, then ask yourself why. Because it's all up to you, it's all on you. And just establish that, that old mantra that I did. As long as you're green, you'll continue to grow. When you think you're right, you'll begin to rock. Don't be a know-it-all, be a spot. I think that is sage advice that goes far beyond the football field and can be used by everybody and anybody. Leonard, yeah. this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Frank. I thank you so much for joining right. the show. Everybody, that's a wrap for another episode of The Yield. Be sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere podcasts can be found. Leave a five-star rating so we can help get Leonard's advice out there to football players and investors alike. See you all next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.
The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment product. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at YieldStreet.com.